So I wanted to talk about how the gospel naturally drives us out of our provincial lives, where we live inside our head often, uh, out of our proclivity for self-indulgence and into a world of great need and to become people of love. So I wanted to talk about from the angle of compassion. So you guys read the passage today, and I just want to talk about compassion in this way. Compassion's a good thing, right? Compassion's a good thing. There is a growing trend toward compassion in our day and age. In fact, recently I read an obituary of Charles Feeney, who amassed a multi-billion dollar fortune, and guess what? He's the one that's founded all those duty-free shops in those air- airports that you see in the international, which we were accustomed to in our different travels. And he uh, gave away his fortune in secret for many years. As I was reading this obituary, he gave away his fortune. And it was a total of, um, he donated more than $8 billion dollars in his lifetime, anonymously, and then later they discovered that it was him. He did not own a car. He uh, didn't own a home. He preferred to live in a rented apartment in San Francisco. Um, also that he could give. And, and then you hear stories like that and you go, wow, hats off to you. And there are more studies that are coming in in which our generation now really admires people like that who have used their fame and fortune to helping others and particularly like specific groups that are in need. So you have something in mind and you're going you're to target those groups and you're going to uh, pour out your, your money and your wealth toward those groups. And so I think on the whole, this generation is more compassionate than the parent generation. I think a lot of us would see this as a positive trend and how it's making an impact already in our generation. But we also know that the world needs more of this because we live in a never-darkening landscape and um, politically, culturally, you know what's happening in Gaza. You know, like, there's so many things that are out there that the world can't, the political systems can't fix. And you just want to say the gospel needs to come into these dark places. And so we need... The need for compassion. The need for compassion is just ever-growing. And so what is compassion? I want us to think about that. Many of us think of compassion as those fuzzy feelings conjured up when you see a cute puppy, the sad, droopy eyes. It's like, oh, my heart goes out to puppies. You know, I have compassion on them. Uh, Or when somebody that you know, like, flatters you. Man, you are so good. You have so much potential. Good job. You go, man, that person's so compassionate to me. (laughs) So is compassion just flattery and being nice to another person? So let's talk about that for a bit with the person next to you. What constitutes (laughs) compassion? Can I give you guys a minute and a half to talk with your neighbor about it?
All right. Okay, so what constitutes compassion? I don't know if you had some good answers there. I just want to look up, I looked up the Latin for compassion at the root. It's to suffer with. Hence, uh, Passion of the Christ, if you've seen that movie, Passion of the Christ, or just the, the label, Passion of the Christ. Uh, passion is equated to the suffering of Christ. So it was Jesus who epitomized the life of compassion, which means that he lived a life of suffering that is not in a pointless, self-inflicted sort of way, but out of his love for people, he ended up suffering. And the word in Greek for compassion is moved from the gut. And so there, it's the place, and Hebrew, the Hebrew origin of the word is similar in that it's moved from the gut where you feel your greatest passions. It's like the, what you feel in your gut. And so that intensity that you feel. So Jesus moved out of compassion, moved out of pity, it says often in scripture, moved from the gut, means that out of that intensity, he went out and he touched the lepers, healed the blind, went to the paralyzed. Um, and, and then it involved sacrifice on his part because often that healing led to him not being able to disclose himself more to a greater audience. So going to the story now, um, from Mark 6.34, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So prior to this scene, Jesus wanted to get away, to go on a retreat with his disciples, because it's been a busy season. They, in fact, have gone without food because ministry was so busy. They were healing, they were preaching the gospel. So when Jesus finally lands in this remote place, he's looking forward to having that alone time with his own disciples. But lo and behold, he sees this great crowd. And he could have had a different reaction given his expectation of what this time should be about. He could have said... Uh, oh, Mike, he could have at least expressed some irritation. Oh, man, after a busy season, now like there's this huge crowd gathered. And I understand that because everywhere we went in these different countries, there are large crowds, people everywhere. Even in the remote villages, there are people everywhere. And you do sense, uh, like I sense personally getting overwhelmed because it's like I know that Probably 95% or more, have ne- probably even close to 99% have never even heard the gospel. And you see their lives and where they're living in, the conditions that they're living in, and you just go, wow, this is just hard to wrap my mind around. There's like so much need. And it gets overwhelming. So, of course, my instinct is like, it's too daunting. Oh, I got to get away from this place. And it's exactly the response of the disciples, right? As, as the disciples said, send them away. We can't handle this. Have them go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat, as if there's street food there, or like malls that they can go to, right? And, but it's understandable, because 
why would they want to send them away? Because they're trying to get away from these people. And where does that come from, that attitude of send them away? It comes or it stems from a sense of lack, um, a sense of privation. I am operating from a deficit. I've already, I'm hungry too. I'm tired. I have limited resources. And now, and I'm up to here with my own problems and issues. And now you have this crowd. Send them away, Jesus. I need to be ministered to right now. And, and then where is, in contrast, Jesus' heart? It's out of his overflow. He has compassion on them. And how does this compassion express itself? It expresses himself in that he began to teach them many things. I think uh, that's such a, that comes from a heart of love. It doesn't immediately strike you that way, the fact that he wants to teach you many things. But think about that. Teaching from God's word, that is compassionate. Because for those people who've never heard, this is their first opportunity to experience guidance from God's heart and to be led because his understanding of people are like they are sheep without a shepherd. And if you know sheep, they really need a lot of guidance because otherwise they're going to fall into some pit or put themselves in harm's way. So to teach them many things about God, about his heart for people, about the pathway to deliverance, it's a compassionate thing. You know, I got a chance to teach Bible study of all places in Vietnam. I was just blown away in Saigon. I, got a, I was invited to give a message to 12 or 13 students. Half of them were freshmen. They come from different colleges. And um, I know I was putting Wilson on the spot there, but I had Wilson share his testimony in his broken Vietnamese. And then Wilson got through it. Is Wilson here? Yeah. How was that, Wilson. It was rough, it was rough, it was rough. Yeah, but, but he, 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 he was able to communicate. Um, but what I was really struck by is um, their eagerness to hear from the Word of God because I could sense that they wanted guidance. They're, they represent like less than 1% Christian in that country. So precious, right? So precious, and they have the Bible. And when we're reading this text, they're following along and they're reading it with such hunger is, is how I received it. Because as a speaker, I know when an audience is att- attentive, you know, and they're just so attentive. We're singing songs. I was really, uh, I wanted to share everything. <laughs> you know, even though it was 20 minutes, I wanted to spend so much more time talking to them about my experience of God in the past 30 years, like how God has made a difference in my life, Um, God's vision for them, and how God wants to protect them and use them. And I wanted to teach them about evangelism, and I wanted to teach them about God's holiness and his character and the stories in the Old Testament and make that come alive, but I had only 20 minutes. Um, And I can tell that we could have gone a long time. So Jesus, teaching them many things, even as tired as he must have been, it's a compassionate thing because it's a wonderful portrait of love 
because we need to be taught many things. Is that your self-understanding? Because when I look at the Bible and how full it is of God's teachings and the way it directs and guides us, it's like what our recent devotions said in Psalm 119.72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Do you feel that way? Um, the word of God teaches us how to, how to live life and instructs us on what will enable our lives to flourish, what we need to protect ourselves against, the situations that we need to avoid, the pitfalls that sin brings. Man, that's precious wisdom. And it's the reason why we emphasize so much daily intake of God's word, because it's the words of life. And why the Bible is so precious in some of these countries that we visited is because the access is so limited. And why even going through a museum, we went through a museum where it's like a Bible museum in Korea, and we saw like people who gave their lives for translating these words, and the Bible was in these cases. And I don't know why, like it's just a, a book, right? But why... Was it so moving? Why does it conjure up these feelings? And it's because it's so valuable. And, 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 and you, you, you go, thank you for, for, for doing this so that other people can hear. The words of God expressed to you and I. Let's not take it for granted. The disciples said, instead of staying there, they said, send them away, send them away. Um, we feel tired and overwhelmed. But then Jesus' response to the disciples is something kind of shocking. He answered them, you give them something to eat. You do it. <laughs> the Bible speaks of compassion in the sense of action. Not just feelings like a puppy dog, you know. It's not just a sentiment. You do it. You give them something to eat. And then he said to them in verse 38, because they are like, what? Are you serious? Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? We're talking about 5,000 men only. We're talking about probably 10,000 if you include the women and children. It's daunting. So what, what, why is Jesus setting this, them up for failure like this? It's not setting them up for failure. It turns out, even in his directive, his, he expresses his fundamental heart toward us, which is he wants to involve us in the ministry, in what he is feeling compassion about. The things that he wants to get done through the obedience of his children is, is what he's all about. Not because God is lazy or because he's on some power trip, but because that's the Father's heart. I understand why he said, you give them something to eat, as, as almost like he wants them to partner with him because when my kids were younger, I wanted to involve them in a lot of things. And it's not because I wanted to treat them as my slaves. No, I would go, hey, do the laundry. <laughs> go cook. And, uh, and then 
and go set the table. And it's because through that involvement, I know that they'll have ownership and it will mature them. It will increase their competency. And when I see them doing that, there's something that, about that, that, that scene when I see my kids, when, especially when they were five and six, setting up the table when the students would come over. They're like, how many students are coming over, Dad? Like, I don't know, like 12 or 13. Okay, we'll go set up the table. Yes, we're a team together, you know. There's something about that that brings joy because that's a father's heart. You want to co-labor together, and that's God's heart. Jesus didn't need the disciples. He could have just said, everyone have food. And then he could have fed all of the crowd miraculously, but no, he wants to involve them. He wants them to share in his heart of compassion. So he goes, you give them something to eat. And then in that, you, and then he, they experience this, this deficit. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? It's this place where, of, where we are overwhelmed, where we feel daunted, that ironically, that's the exact place that God wants us to be. Because Jesus' compassion for the world will always bring us to a point of crisis. That's the picture of the church today and you and me and every generation of Christian who look at the world and see the love of God and, and hear him say, go and be carriers of this living bread to the people. And we look at the people and ourselves and the magnitude of the task and the meagerness of what you are and what you have and what you know, and you're daunted and it's overwhelming, but that's where God wants us to be right at that moment when we're faced with a daunting task and are painfully aware of our meager resources. We need to be put in situations like this because it's only through those situations where we'll be able to experience the miracle of the bread being multiplied, right? Have you ever placed yourself in such a situation deliberately? Have you had the experience of being overwhelmed because God called you to a step of obedience? Or has it always been, you know what, living within your means, within what you thought was possible? Which is why I would encourage all of you to be involved, if you're a Christian, to be involved in ministry. Because there's nothing like ministry that brings you to your knees in dependence on God. Because you never feel like you're sufficient for the task. You ever become like a children's teacher or a youth teacher? And that moment when they look at you with that look of, ah, please, teach me, sensei. You know, and I'm like... Are you, are you looking at me? <laughs> like, can you look at somebody else? Because all 15 youth are looking at you and asking you to be a role model. And you don't know if you have what it takes to live up to that view that they have of you. And how did you earn that credit just by virtue of the fact that you placed yourself in this context and you are willing to be a teacher and you play this role, and now they're saying, teach me, sensei, you know. So precious, but yet, that's exactly where God wants us to be. And so, this story is 
it, it, the focus of this story is be in a situation where it reminds you of what you don't have, but also it reminds you of what you have. Because Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? And if you could picture that, like, how, what, what do you have? And if you could picture that tense huddle when they finally get this boy to bring five loaves and two fish. Like, you ever imagine, like, when they pull that out and show Jesus, what do you think the expression of the disciples would have been? Like, would it be, like, cluelessly confident, here you go, Jesus? Or would it be, like, kind of embarrassed, like, it's almost a joke, like, five loaves and two fish, you know? Like, what, what would it have been like? It's not like you're bringing a thousand-pound albacore tuna, you know? Like, 12 disciples, boom! Here you go, Jesus. And then you're, they're like, okay, I can do something with this. These are anchovies. And, 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 and you're like saying to Jesus, yeah, we're actually serious. We're going we're gonna to take this and cut this up, and we're going to feed the multitudes. And yet... The point of the story seems to be exactly that. Bring what you have. Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Because once you try, then God could do something with that to bless it. Let's try. That's my attitude. That's always been my attitude. Even if it doesn't add up and it may look foolish, let's just try. When we landed in Boston, all these colleges... People said, man, it's hard. It's like a graveyard for churches, you know, like in this liberal city to build a church here for college students and let's just try. Bring what we have. Keep doing what you don't think is possible. And we know that what we have is meager. But what's the alternative? The multitudes are hungry. So bring what you have. And so... Again, Jesus' compassion will lead us to be pushed out to our very limit. And even that might not be enough. And yet, these are the conditions under which we can now begin to experience God's presence. I want to, just one more story from my trip. In Indonesia, we went to Ukrim University, of that's the name. And... It's in Jogjakarta, Indonesia. It's about an hour flight from Jakarta. So we took a plane and we went there. And um, uh, people from Austin would know because uh, this is uh, the dad and of uh, one of our Austin team members. And he started schools there in Jogjakarta. And he, this is his university. He graduated from one of the top universities. He went to grad school in Thailand, one of the top grad schools in Thailand, he comes back and he's teaching uh, engineering and chemistry, and we got to see the classrooms. But really, the point of his life is that through this school, he's going to raise up future ministers to go out to the rural villages and poorer areas in Indonesia and establish seminaries every 200 kilometers because he wants everyone to access, be able to access the Bible and to reach them with the gospel. And he insists that every seminary student that graduates, before they graduate, they have to lead 15 people to Christ um, and baptize them. So that's just your assignment. Uh, that's your dissertation, I guess. 
And so they go out to these villages and they share the gospel. And you know, it's not just 15. Like so many come to know God. And guess what? Because they have that experience of feeding the multitudes with whatever meager resources they have, they want to invest their lives as missionaries. Talk about a pipeline. Uh, Students come in and then they become Christian and then they are told to go and go on and help these villages and then part of their assignment is to share the gospel once you become Christian and then lead people to Christ and then afterwards, once they've had that experience, they want to devote their lives to it. And so... God takes this meager resource of one person and then he just says, yes, I'll try it. There's no way I'm going to reach all of Indonesia, but I'm just going to try it. And God made that work. And you could see it's scaling. It's one way that I experience God multiplying the five loaves and two fish. You never know what God will do with your step of obedience In our linear way of thinking, we don't know how it's possible that God will use our life. But, man, to get that kind of mileage out of your life, that kind of use and worth and impact out of your life, think about that. You keep distributing until everyone had their fill and they had to gather 12 baskets left over. Only when they brought everything that they had were they able to experience the miracle of God's provision. So I just want to offer up this challenge. Um, we started off talking about the need to be compassionate, but we all, like, like what, what does that mean for, for each of us? Are we going to go to these countries? Not necessarily, but one thing that I would urge you practically is to offer up what you have. And one thing that is very concrete is your time, because we all have the same amount of time. And... Um, it's just that we, we, have, we have the choice to choose to do what we're going to do with that time. Like, isn't that true? Like, if we really want something, we're going to make time for it. So many people these days, they actually are not able to exercise compassion even if they want to because it's just too much of a hassle. It's just they're too busy with their life. There's an already impacted schedule. I can't squeeze it in. And, and consequently, there isn't this moment where Jesus can multiply that bread. So offer up your time. And then whatever, whatever else that you can bring before God. Like a lot of us may, may think, we, what difference can I really make? But I'm not, I'm not going to change anything. I'm not that good at it. But rare is it that anyone is born just good at it. Like I know Mozart was like that. But... And then there was this girl that we met who's five years old in Indonesia who was just an incredible artist from the get-go, like five years old. I can't draw like that. And she's five. And I'm like, wow, you had that in your mind. And you just put it on paper. Okay, well, there are some gifted people like that. But for vast majority of us, we have to work at it. So it's not really an excuse that we're not good at it. Because we work at it and... The expectation is that we shouldn't assume that we're awesome already. Well, just only Jesus is awesome. We just have to work at getting better. And so compassion means actually doing something for somebody. And consequently, this life 
when we respond to it, I think that's the only appropriate response in terms of what God has done for us. And once we're aware of what God has done for us, we become aware of people's needs out there, and then we're presented with this choice. You give them something to eat. And so what will be your response? Will it be like the disciples send them away? Or will we bring what we have? And so that's my challenge to each of us. We're called to live a life of compassion. We're called to take our five loaves and two fish. And what happens is he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and he broke them, and he set them before the disciples. An amazing, life-saving work can happen when we offer up what we have. And here's the thing. The more aware of the needs out there, we, then God puts us in situations where we have to respond to more and more needs. And the question is, are we personally ready to accept that invitation? So it starts, I think, with the needs of your friends, your classmates, your coworkers, and then start there and then increase the scope of your awareness and respond as you have those experiences under your belt. I just want to end with this very familiar passage. I was just going to read it and and I don't think I have it here on the slide, but, and Jesus went, this is from Matthew 9, 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I pray that you and I and our church can be those harvest workers. Our mission statement, launching kingdom workers from every college town. Uh, our hope and vision is to raise up those kingdom workers from among us. I want to end with this quote from Henry Now, and compassion means going directly to the, those people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. May this be our response. So let's pray together. just want to have us think about um, just the amazing privilege that all of us have been given. What are we going to do with our privilege in terms of education, in terms of opportunity? Um, generations of Christians who have gone ahead of us have offered up their lives so that and gone to places where they really doesn't make sense for them to go and, and so however God is speaking to you let's just open up our hearts Lord uh, what would you have me do how would you have me spend my time um, what is the mindset I need to have um, maybe right now all the focus of this story is just bring what you have and then let's see what God can do with that. Encourage you, if you're Christian here, to just commit to a life of ministry. It's what we're all called to do. It's not an option. And, um, and when you do, just watch your heart expand and grow and your compassion grow. And, 
and then experience God using you. So that's my prayer for you, but it has to come from you. So let's pray a prayer of commitment and just offering up ourselves again. Let's pray together.